It's good to hear God's people having fellowship and chit-chatting, that's for sure, in the house of the Lord this morning. So if you're out in the foyer, come on in and we'll get started and, uh, and uh, dive into this passage. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the privilege we have to open the scriptures that we have to look at your word and, and look at Paul's life and uh, what he had to say about the term joy and how he exemplified it in all situations. So we thank you for that. Guide the conversations today that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Get so I can read. Maybe. <laughs> okay, so today's lesson is going to be on joy. And we're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, I got some summary statements I'll read first before we get going in the book of Philippians and look at this passage. Chapter 1 is what we'll be at. My Bible's a uh, Holman Christian standard, so it may read a little bit differently than yours. But um, anyway, so before we get going, one question I'd like you to put out there, put out for you to think about and to keep in the back of your mind as we work through this lesson is, what is the source of your joy? And let me repeat it. What is the source of your joy? And think about that really specifically about what brings you joy in your life and that. So anyway, I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. We'll return to it as we get to the end of this lesson. <clears throat> so our, uh, our lesson, like I said, is from uh, Philippians chapter 1. They got some statements here I'd like to read because I think they're worth reading. It says, Paul wrote the joyful words of Philippians from prison. The reason Paul could be joyful was because he could look past his circumstances past any pain and hardship he's experiencing in that moment and know the gospel was advancing. Hearing that Jesus Christ was being glorified and knowing other believers were standing firm in their faith filled the, God, the apostle with joy. Paul found deep joy in Christ shining in and through his life. Knowing Christ would shine through his death gave him joy as well. So there's three points there and that's kind of our session outline is Joy at seeing the gospel advance. Joy in exalting Christ in life or death. And then joy at seeing others stand firm in suffering. And then the theological theme is joy in Christ is available regardless of our circumstances. And then the uh, missional application for us to take and apply to our lives day by day is God calls us to express joy and confidence in God's plan no matter what, the, what circumstances we encounter. And that. So let's uh, turn, and I'm going to read, um, I want to read the whole chapter in that. It's a little bit long, but I think it sets the context and kind of gives us an idea of, of what this book of Philippians is about. And anybody that's read the book of Philippians is amazed at how much, how optimistic it is, and how joyful it is, and how Paul talks about it, regardless of circumstances. Regardless of what it is, he's constantly, it seems like, very joyful in this particular book of Philippians. And there's some heavy uh, theology in it. Uh, chapter 2 talks about the humility and exaltation of Christ. But it's the, 
the whole book of Philippians is a very uh, uplifting and encouraging book in that. So let's start uh, in verse 3 and it says, well, I'll start in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. That's us, church leadership. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ uh, Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motive or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance, through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I would, should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus. And when I come to you again, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear. And, and that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So that's that first chapter um, there in Philippians. 
in that. And some of the, the verses that are talking about Paul's joy is that in verses uh, 3 and 4 and then 7. Let's read those again. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse 7, It is right for me to think of this about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace. So the shared experience that Paul had with them brought him joy. And that shared experience was brought about through the gospel. That's what really motivated Paul, was joy in, in, uh, in the fact that he had shared the gospel, the good news, while he was ministering there in Philippi. And that one of the uh, passages I wanted to, or one of the quotes I wanted to read from our quarterly is, as we explore Philippians, remember that Paul wrote these joyful words from prison. Oh, I actually wrote, read that already. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> and that. Um, but his joy was in the good news. It was joy in sharing the gospel. If we look at verses 12, he talks about it again. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. That's what brought joy to Paul was the, advance, was the gospel. And as I was studying this, I was trying to figure out exactly what it was that was motivating Paul. Because it wasn't circumstances. Andy talked about it last time we had Sunday school. I mean, they, they went on this trip. He told them not to go. They went. They got in a crash. You know, they had to swim to shore. You know, all these circumstances. And there certainly wasn't any joy in that. And then even before he left, he was arrested, thrown in prison. And it seems like all of Paul's ministry was always a sense of chaos and conflict every time. But when you read about Paul, when you read what he, he does, he always has this joy. And I came to the conclusion that it's, it's found in the fact, resulted in the advance of the gospel. That's what motivated Paul. It was, it was the fact that the good news was being spread in that. Um, let's see. If we turn over to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll read verses 1 through, uh, and then 7 through 14. He kind of contrasts in this book his old life and that. And one thing you've got to realize is Paul, before he, became, uh, before he became Paul, before he was saved, his name was Saul. He was at the upper crust of politics, academics, and the church. He was way up there. He had a good life. He had... Um, of joyous life, if you will. He had one of contentment, fulfillment, pleasure. All of that was his. And when he became a Christian, all that was taken away. He, he was constantly, it seemed, on the run. He was constantly persecuted. When you read the last half of the book of Acts, I mean, it, it, it reads like a Hollywood movie script. I mean, it's like it was nonstop. And uh, as far as his, how much he was trying to get away from people that were accusing him. the If it wasn't... Um, the, uh, uh, the, the Gentiles of the town he was in, it was the Jews. They were constantly after him. They hounded him all the time. And that. So you see that for him to find joy, it had to be in something. And, I, and I'm going to emphasize that fact that it was in the spreading of the gospel, the good news, and that. Let's read this passage then in, in Philippians chapter 3. We'll read verse 1. Finally, my brethren, 
Rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is protection for you. Again, he's encouraging. Find their joy in the Lord and that. And then this is comparing his old life to his new life. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also considered everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And there again is that gospel in a nutshell, if you will. In these seven verse, or in these uh, few verses, he, he sums up what the, the gospel is, the good news. The righteousness from God based on faith. And then verses 12... Um, through 14. Now that I have already reached the goal or am I or am already fully mature but I have I make every effort to take hold of it because I have I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching toward what is ahead. I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That's those verses there. But the idea is, is that this gospel is what gave him joy. It's what motivated him and that. Um, let's look at, uh, in, our, in a, a passage that we're supposed to be uh, pertaining to, which is verses 12 through 30. Let's look at verse 13 there. Or, yeah, it says, So that it had become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. So, and I think uh, Andy talked about the imperial guard last week, that these were um, hand-chosen men that were to guard him, and they were the emperor's guard. They were um, like the secret service that we have here in the United States. Well, they would rotate in and out and they would go to different parts of the Roman uh, Empire. Well, if you've ever looked at a map, which I'm sure most of you have, the Roman Empire was huge. It went all the way up to England. It went from one ocean all the way to Eurasia and into what is Russia and all the way well into uh, Africa and then down into um, toward Iran and Iraq and all that area. So it was a large area. So as these guards would come in contact with him, they would find out why he was in prison. And he would have an opportunity, and like Andy shared, it was a captive audience. They didn't have any place else to go. So he didn't even have to be talking to him directly. He could be talking to whoever was visiting him, but he was always doing the gospel, presenting the gospel. And these people would, you know, this guy has joy that I don't have. And he has something to live for that I don't have. And so in turn, they would become Christians. And then the gospel was spread throughout Rome, not because of, um, what would you say, people like Paul necessarily, but by people that were missionaries simply because they were under his, his uh, where he was at there in Rome. And because Rome was the center of the Roman Empire, it was, uh, you know, people would come and go. I mean, all roads lead to Rome, they said. 
And uh, so we see that in that verse. Um, let's see, and then verse, down in verse 17, there's a unique uh, thing in here that Paul, Paul uh, talks about, and that is uh, the others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. And I kind of pondered that a little bit, and I cannot imagine how you could share the gospel and thinking that you were doing something to hurt Paul, to hurt another minister. And so I was trying to think, is there any, is there any way we can relate to that in our day and age? And I know a lot of times we may be critical of other ministries, but God can use those other ministries regardless of whether we think they're good or bad. And um, we listened to a, uh, a, uh, a YouTube video on Tuesday night from a guy named John Lennox. And he related a story where this young man was in Siberia during uh, the communist era. And they were told that God, you know, they, they said that uh, Christianity is a religion that started in the mid-500s. And it's... Uh, you know, and they gave it all these disparaging remarks, definitions. Well, as the young man read that, and he started clipping out, and as he read through this communist dictionary of all these words, he began to see that there was a pattern to these things that they were condemning, and it was hope. And so he started clipping out and wrote to him. He wrote him down. He came to saving faith without ever having the word of God but by actually using this communist dictionary of sorts to, you know, figure out what God wanted and how he needed uh, righteousness based in him, the good news, the gospel. And I thought, well, there's an example of, uh, you know, God using everything to his glory, and that's what Paul's talking about here. These, you know, some spread the gospel because they were like Paul. They wanted to do it for love. Uh, these do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my prison. And then Paul's response, what does it matter? He didn't care. He cared that the gospel was being spread. And again, that was the source of his joy And that. Um, okay, let's, uh, again, let's turn. There's another passage in uh, Philippians I'd like us to look at. Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> and we'll read four, verses 4 through 7, and then verses 16 through 18. And this really does talk about Paul's life attitude and why he could say, like in verse 18, what does it matter? Starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard you, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's attitude. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Think about where he was at. Think about the other prisons he had been at. This just didn't start at day one when he got to Rome. This was prevalent from when he became a Christian till, till now when he wrote the book of Philippians and until his death which I don't think was too far after the writing of Philippians and then let's read verses 16 through 14 
And even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the profit. That it, yeah, that is increasing to your account. Oh, verses 10, sorry. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any, circum in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in your hardship. Again, that attitude that he was joyful and he continues to rejoice. The fact that, that that's what permeated his life. And it didn't matter the circumstances. Paul could have had much at times and at other times he had very little in that. Yes. Yes. I know both how to have a little, I know have a lot. In all my circumstances, yeah. It's the learning. It's, a, it's that idea of maturity and growing. And I think, I think we read that too about him a little bit later on in the, in the key passage. Anyway. But he talks about that idea of maturing in Christ and that, and that is, is important that way. One moment. Notes. Okay. We get to verse eighteen, and there was always a there was a struggle. And the first half of the uh, first half of the verse, we uh, says, "What does it matter?" Just then, in every weather, whether you know, talking about those who are spreading the good news, the gospel whether out of good motive or false motives. But then in the, the last part of it, it says, and, I, and in this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. Because, and then verse 19, uh, I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and from my faith, my eager expectation. Let's drop down to verse 21. For me, and this is that conflict that you see in Paul. He didn't know whether he should stay in uh, this earth or he should go to be with the Lord. He wanted to do both in that. For me, living in Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live in the flesh, live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I would choose. In other words, the gospel can continue to be proclaimed. The longer he is here on earth, he knows that he can continue to proclaim that. And says, I am... Um, let's see. And I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better, looking into the eyes of the king. And uh, I don't know if our lesson brought it out, but I thought about that, kind of pondered that, the idea that on earth he was looking into the eyes of a king, Nero, and then shortly thereafter, at this, almost within moments, he was going to be looking into the eyes of the king, Jesus Christ, and what that confidence that must have meant to him and that. Um, 
Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with, with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus, and I will come to gain. And again, we see that because of his confidence in spreading the good news in the gospel, that others were doing that. They're in Philippi. They weren't because there was a point in the early church where the persecution got so intense that it was starting to shrink. It was starting to, to kind of draw in, and rightfully so. But as they saw Paul's boldness, then they became emboldened through the Holy Spirit as well. But it was all rooted in this idea of the gospel, of spreading the good news is what motivated them in that. Um, one of the points that they make in the, in the lesson that I thought was worth reading one, and this kind of piggybacks on what Paul is saying there. One day your life will be summarized by a single punctuation mark. On your tombstone, the only thing separating your birth date from your death date will be a dash, a small horizontal, horizontal line. It won't matter if you die at 26 or 96. All of our dashes will be the same length. What matters is not how long you live, but how you live, and more importantly, for whom you live. Paul didn't waste his dash. From the, very, from the moment he became a new creation on a dusty road to his missionary journeys, trials, and imprisonment, Paul sought to live fully for Christ. That was how he continued to live in his Roman prison. And that was how he planned on living afterward. If God saw fit to bring him out of, this, of that prison, no matter what happened, whether he lived or died, Paul's joy would not diminish because no matter what, he would be with the source of his joy, Christ Jesus. And that's what the, the idea of the gospel is, the good news that brings us to Jesus Christ. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, what uh, Cheryl said is that she she sees this, and I would agree that it's kind of like Paul is handing off the baton to the next generation. He's trying to encourage them and saying, "Okay, now it's your chance to run the race." Now carry on and uh, I think that's the point that Cherry was, was trying to make correct Cheryl yeah he's cheering them on he's trying to encourage them don't lose heart don't lose sight of what the gospel is what the good news is because that's what's important in this in this passage in that okay. let's look at uh, James chapter 1 there's a, a, a one that we all think about, count it all joy, but I think we should read it in light of what it's saying in Philippians. So let's turn to James chapter 1, and uh, we'll read that passage there too. This is a totally different author writing to different people, and yet um, it's James, and he says, uh, starting in verse 2, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you... Experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. One of the footnotes I read about this was that um, the, the Jewish population, the men, would consider maturity the more trials you went through in your life. How you responded to those trials and how you dealt with them, they would consider it a sign of maturity. And uh, so that's why uh, James here is encouraging us to say, consider it great joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials. And it's through those trials that we can present the good news, the gospel, if you will, to others that are going through similar conditions or different, but we can still share that good news because that's, again, what our faith is rooted in. Let's continue on in the passage. Uh, let's read uh, verses 27. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that struck me a lot um, because I think that sometimes we don't realize how important it is that we live our life worthy of the gospel. A lot of times we forget how important that that is that our lives are measuring up to the good news, that we're living up to the sacrifice that Christ paid for us in that. And it takes choices. It's not that you do it by works. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the choice that you make to pursue Christ and live a righteous life in that. It's, it's difficult. Paul certainly, uh, you know, in the book of Romans chapter 7, he talks about the struggle against sin in that. And here again we get to this, and he says, Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. That idea again of working and presenting the gospel is what he wants to know about. And, that, and I think that's very important. Um, another little quote I'd like to read out of the... Uh, uh, the quarterly is um, just one thing, Philippians, Paul told them, just one thing I want you to take away from my experience and my struggle. With the desire to live and die, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And with that, everyone in the Philippian congregation looked around at each other, am I living in a manner worthy of the gospel? And that's something we should ask ourselves maybe every day. Are we living that in a manner worthy of the gospel? They all wondered. Perhaps some caught the eyes of fellow believers whom they had wronged, neighbors they had betrayed, or friends who need, needed to be forgiven. Could they look Paul in the eye and tell him they were living worthy of the gospel with one another, let alone in the world around them? But that was the one thing their friend, their mentor in the faith, was calling them to do has he continued to proclaim Christ from his prison in Rome. Just one thing, live your true identity as citizens of heaven so that the world sees the gospel in you. And that. So I come back to the question about what is the source of your joy? What motivates you to have joy? Is it the freedoms we enjoy in this country, the fact that you're called a citizen of the United States, is it your job? Is it the 
fact, I enjoy mountain biking out there. Um, all these things, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong, whatever. But if that is, is the source of our joy, they're going to be short-lived. At some point, I'm no longer going to be able to ride. At some point, we may not enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. At some point, you're not going to be making the income that maybe you're currently making. Or your 401ks don't function quite the way you'd hope they would. All of these things, all of this, whatever we put, the food you cook, you burn. Maybe you find joy in cooking. Maybe you've read that book and you've decided that cooking is the joy I have. But not everything turns out right. Had that experience this weekend. And, <laughs> and so it's important that we find the joy that comes in Christ. And Paul has shown us in this passage, and I hope you've gotten it through my words, what it was, is that Paul's joy was centered and rooted in one thing, and that was the spreading of the gospel, the good news. And that's what it should be for us. There was a, a chance when I was driving back and forth to Telluride, a young man that had been in our employ for on and off for years and we were we were on our way home and he was in the back seat it was in a suburb and I think myself and one of my sons and him were the ones coming back and we were talking about spiritual things and he was raised Jehovah Witness and I don't know if many of you have any interactions with Jehovah Witnesses similar to Mormons if you become a Christian you die to that family you're no longer part of that family. They cut you off. They want nothing to do with you. Some of them, it's maybe a little bit more prolonged than others, but some of them, it's almost instantaneously. For his family, even though he wasn't living as a good Jehovah Witness, they were willing to tolerate it. But when he accepted, if he was to accept Christ, that would have been it. They would have had nothing to do with him. And he was married and had uh, a young son at that point. And he asked, uh, he said, so what does it take to become a Christian? And I said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I said, do you want to pray the prayer? He said, yes. I've never come to a stop so fast in all my life. You know, from 65 to zero. And I pulled over and it was up there by the Trout Lakes. And one of the greatest joys I had was in talking to him and having him pray and come to saving faith. It was a great sense of joy, and I can relate to this. And what Paul is talking about, how much joy that brings to us. And I think anyone here that has led someone to saving faith in Christ would say the same thing. There's a certain amount of joy that just runs through your body in a way that is indescribable. And I think it is important that we live our lives and we do all we can we just got done with a Bible study on Tuesday nights talking about uh, Jesus among other secular gods. And the whole emphasis wasn't how you could argue them down, but it's how you could take any topic in today's culture, any whatever it is, and use that as a spring point to introduce the gospel, interject the gospel into their lives, and to get them to think. Maybe not at that moment they'll come to saving faith, but there'll be something there, some nugget of truth that they can grasp and come to saving faith down the road. And, of course, they had stories to go along with it and that. So one thing I'd like to do as we wrap up today's lesson
is um, they conclude here is and it's a source of and actually um, this is very important because those of us who worship in a Bible church worship in any church that's not a Roman Catholic church can appreciate what this uh, little story has to say it says on October 31st just a few days um, excuse me 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses into the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Sorry, I'm having a hard time. A little emotional about it. It was a hammer heard around the world, a sound that spawned five banner cries of the 16th century Protestant Reformation. Sola Christo, by Christ alone. Sola Fideus, by faith alone. Sola Gratia by grace alone, Sola Scriptura by Scripture alone, and Sola Deo Gloria, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. <clears throat> we should never be ashamed to shout those five solas at the top of our voices, but today, five centuries later, I think our generation should add a sixth sola to the list. Sola Gaudium by joy alone. Joy in Jesus is the greatest offense against the onslaught of the world, the temptations of the flesh, and the vicious assaults of the devil. Christian, you are most beautiful when you are, um, when you are most broken. Wormbrenner, the imprisoned Roman pastor, knew it. Paul knew it. And so do the Christians that are currently suffering and changed throughout. When persecution comes your way, take out your hammer, point it at Christ's nail pierced palms, and then drive the thesis, joy alone, deep into the doors of this world because you never know how your joy in Jesus today will change the church tomorrow. And I think it's, I don't think I know that it's important that we take that to heart. And uh, I didn't even connect the dates till I read that this morning, how close we are to that date. Any comments or thoughts before we close in prayer? Yes. Yes, and I was thinking that too. Jesus, uh, Mickey brought up the fact that joy is Jesus first, others second, and you last. And I think that that is something that we can always keep in the back of our mind when we encounter difficulty or trials. There's that little catchphrase in that. Um, Jesus and others and you. It's an acrostic for the word joy. Jesus first, joy, then others, the O, and then you, the Y, last. Is a priority. Okay. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that we've had this example from Paul. We thank you that that we have the privilege of reading his testimony, that you've included it in the Word of God, that you see that it is important for us to know what true joy is, that regardless of circumstances, whatever they may be, good or bad, regardless of where we exist in life, our joy should always be in the fact that the gospel is being spread, that we are telling people about the good news. May we be relentless in doing that, Father, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.